0: thanks for listening to the jazz joe hall show podcast today on the pod as summer like weather continues on the south coast we look into the province's preparation for potential flooding and landslides plus what a mess by next week will the bc ndp leadership contest go from a two-person race into a one-man coronation and the great rip-off concession prices at sporting events reach new levels of absurdity and please spare me the inflation excuse that's all next on the jazz joe hall show podcast Let's begin south of the border where the House January 6th, 6th committee has subpoenaed Donald Trump for his testimony about the 2021 Capitol attack. The panel voted unanimously to compel the former president to appear. Uh, the committee presented interviews with his aides and new documents detailing his unflagging multi-part efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss. Before that, the panel showed previously unseen footage of congressional leaders phoning officials for help during the assault. Now, let's remember, uh, police engage in open, bloody hand-to-hand combat as uh, Trump supporters push past barricades, storm the Capitol, and roam the hall, sending lawmakers fleeing for safety and temporarily disrupting the joint session of Congress, actually certifying Biden's election. Joining me now to discuss today's finding is Reggie Cicchini, global national correspondent based in Washington. Reggie, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, You were there today uh, watching all of this occur. Give me a sense of uh, what it's like in Washington today because uh, this is an event in 2021. Here we are in late 2022 still talking about the Capitol Hill attack. Give me a sense of the environment today in Washington.
1: Well, I mean, look, uh, this is a big deal uh, because this is very likely the final public hearing of the January 6th committee before the midterm elections in November, uh, and this committee opted to go out with a bang. And while the events of January 6th might not be a pressing matter heading into the midterms, of course, there's the economy and a myriad of other issues. um, The fact that this committee ultimately decided at the very last minute uh, to hold a vote and subpoena the former president of the United States uh, to get his testimony uh, saying and arguing that he is a central character in what took place on January 6th. That is um, quite frankly, massive. That is a pivotal moment in these hearings after nine hearings, after more than a year's long uh, investigation, this really has not just Washington talking, but the entire country talking uh, because you know, this committee has said Donald Trump uh, needs to be held responsible or accountable. Um, And they're now looking to say, look, Mr. Trump, this is your opportunity. Set the record straight if we're wrong.
0: Uh, In regards to Mr. Trump uh, himself actually appearing or fighting this, what's what's the sense? What do you think was going to happen?
1: Well, I mean, this this subpoena is um, it's kind of riddled with legal hurdles uh, and it's going to be a challenge, number one, because uh, there's every possibility here that the former president is going to try and fight this um, with everything that he has. There have been a number of people um, that have been subpoenaed via this committee, uh, and oftentimes it can lead to a court fight. But number two, uh, timing is of. Uh, The essence here, because uh, when this Congress's term runs out at the beginning of next year, uh, so too does any of the work of this committee, and that would include any opportunity to try and get testimony from Donald Trump. So he will likely try to run out the clock here, because as we know, there is a chance that the power could shift if Republicans get control this committee is going to be disbanded. Uh,
0: My understanding was uh, there was some new footage as well shown um, at the hearing today. What kind of images uh, uh, were shown?
1: Well, there was a couple of things that were shown here, Jazz. Number one was some more testimony—testimony testimony that uh, from people that we have and haven't heard from before—kind of giving, um, you know, a, a state of mind of the former president, including Cassidy Hutchinson, who was uh, a senior aide in the chief of off- uh, chief of staff's office. Uh, she testified that when the Supreme Court wouldn't take this up, uh, the the kind of uh, fight to to keep him in power, keep Donald Trump in power, that the former president out loud said, "This is embarrassing. We can't let people know that we lost." We also heard from the former secretary. secretary, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who also said once the certification was done, once the litigation had been exhausted, uh, that it was over. The fight was over. There was also tape that was played uh, from the moments that the Capitol was being attacked, showing... Uh, uh, leading lawmakers, including Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, all of the congressional leaders at the time huddled together, doing what they could to try and secure the building as they themselves were discussing potential safe locations that they could be brought to uh, throughout Washington, D.C. and beyond. There was also, Jazz, a moment where it showed Nancy Pelosi on the phone with the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, discussing potential National Guard deployment. That is something that lies at the authority of the president of the United States, but it completely contradicts uh, the GOP talking point that Speaker Pelosi worked to block the National Guard from getting here. So this was just another opportunity for this committee to say, look, the information that you have been getting from some members of the Republican Party is not the truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You're heading into midterm elections, as you said. Give me a sense of where you... Uh, Where the American public are at this moment, I mean, we've got issues of um, just like Canada, of course, inflation, economic concerns, potential recession uh, coming as well. On top of that, you've got still conversation about a past president. Uh, um, Will this matter in regards to where Americans are today?
1: I don't think that this is going to be a driving factor for um, people to get out uh, and vote, be it for Republicans to ensure that, you know, Republicans are able to get a majority or for Democrats to ensure that they can kind of stay off any kind of, um, you know, Republican threat. This is far down on the list because, uh, like you said, you know, the economy issues surrounding health care when it comes to women's reproductive rights, these are still driving factors for Americans. These are still um, kind of kitchen table topics, not so much what took place on January 6th. There's also, uh, you know, an issue here when it comes to even the safety of elections and that in itself, which plays back to 2020, uh, is kind of being looked at through a different lens right now as the threats towards 2022. So regardless of what this committee is able to put out in a report, regardless of if they're able to get the testimony from the former president, uh, this is still an important moment in history because as we heard from Representative Liz Cheney, an outgoing Republican, the goal here is to ensure that a January 6th never happens again. And kind of going beyond that, though, Jazz, whether or not this makes a difference in this coming term is still to be seen. The Department of Justice is still carrying out its own parallel investigation that is not going to see time constraints. They potentially could take any criminal referrals. So just because Congress is no longer looking into this, um, the Department of Justice and its agents will continue their investigations.
0: Reggie, thank you for your time today, my friend. Thank you. Well, our next guest uh, said BC nurses would see a 25% pay rise under a government led by BC NDP leadership. By, by her, of course, Anjali Padurai, uh, the climate activist running against former Attorney General David Eby for the leadership, uh, released her seven-point health care plan today, which also promised raises for home care and long-term care workers and tie health care wages to inflation. Uh, Anjali, thank you for joining us hi thanks for having me all right let's uh, talk about your plan first and foremost we don't have a lot of time uh, what uh, what does your health plan do that isn't being done presently by the NDP government
2: well I think that uh, we're building on the great work that's already happening uh, but the but the signal that this plan is putting out is that uh, we need to scale up our actions to take emergency level um, to take emergency level action and and, and and address some of these crises in a way that it's um, much more scaled up and much more transformative. Um, so there's great work that's already being done. Some of the directional shifts that we're proposing are towards a model of care that is, uh, we like to call it a care economy. It's it's a model of care that is rooted in your local community, that's led by the community, that's team-based, that's preventative, and, um, uh, so people are not getting as sick, and you're you're catching those illnesses earlier, and you're able to see the same team of healthcare professionals um, in a in a continuous way, and. And, and what we want is for for that to be the model that we that we immediately prioritize and scale up across the province.
0: How do you plan I mean, to pay for this? Uh-huh. Uh, you said nurses would be provided a 25% wage increase. Uh, there's other uh, folks within the healthcare system, other folks in the public system, private sector is going to look at this as well. How do you pa- plan yeah. to pay for all of this, uh, including providing a 25% wage increase to nurses?
2: Well, there's a, there's a few pieces to this. So there's This plan is certainly about a large public investment. But more than that, it's about making these transformational shifts towards um, preventative and upstream care and and the social determinants of health so that you're actually saving the system. It's actually more cost-effective in the long run. And I would argue that it's not even the long run. It's in the short term as well. Some of these shifts would actually um, save the healthcare system money. So it's not about dumping more money into the system. It's about making shifts. Um, where so that investments go further and are smarter and more strategic. So that's uh, one piece of this. The other piece of it is that this is probably the system that is closest to people's lives. And it is, in a, it is a system that is under imminent threat of privatization. Um, and so to, to actually keep public health care fully in the public sphere, We are going to need to invest, and we are in a position to do so. We're in a very strong position to do so, and I believe that it's the right thing to do.
0: Uh, Angelina, I wanted to ask you just uh, the broader issues in regards to the NDP. There's been a lot swirling around the fact that whether or not uh, the NDP will approve uh, your candidacy. Are you worried that this is going to be all for naught in regards to your plan today, that potentially next week um, you could be booted out of the leadership race?
2: Well, we have no insights into that, jazz. Um, there, there will be a meeting on Wednesday that will uh, determine our faith and I, I have um, no reason to believe that we wouldn't be allowed to continue with the race
0: mm-hmm. uh, Do you worry that, let's just say if you do stay uh, on that, and mm-hmm. you win the leadership as many have said that you wouldn't have the support of caucus even even if you did win, which mm-hmm. would basically mean you'd lead the party, but you would not be premier. Uh, do you worry that even with you staying in and winning, that this would cause a significant rift and, and and you wouldn't be able to get very far in regards to some of the policy that you're introducing today?
2: That's a value, That's a very valid concern, and You know, I, I I came into this leadership race quite late. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't come in with the relationships. Not having been in government, I haven't had a chance to work with the members of our caucus, and, and most of them don't know me. Um, and you know, as we run this very fast-paced leadership race, I'm I'm reaching out. I'm having these conversations, and I'm making contacts so that so that they can get to know me. I'm. I'm confident that as we continue to have the actual policy discussions, as we continue to do this relationship building and and show that that um, we're genuine in our efforts, I'm sure that we'll be able to win people over. And that's one of the qualities that I would bring to leadership is the ability to build coalitions around common cause. So. No, lead-
0: Certainly a bridge that we'll cross when we come to it. Mm -hmm. Now, leadership races are about introducing new members, uh, having a vigorous debate about ideas. Uh, You know, I was just looking at the numbers. Uh, John Horgan uh, basically had a coronation in 2014. Some would argue this Mm -hmm. is what's happening to Mr. Eby as well. It's been Mm -hmm. essentially eight years of this, whether it's Mr. Horgan or Mr. Eby. The last time Mm -hmm. they had a a, a real leadership race was prior to that uh, with Mr. Mm -hmm. Dix and uh, and Mr. Farnworth and and many others in the party. Do you think part of the reason uh, this conversation uh, in regards to leadership is occurring (laughs) simply because the NDP haven't had a real leadership race uh, probably more than a generation?
2: Absolutely. I think there uh are... there's a lot of new stuff happening in this race. Uh, it's it's a lot to take in. As you said, we haven't had a race in a really long time, even though races are very healthy for democracy, very healthy for a party, and very healthy for the public. It's, frankly, something the public deserves. And um, on top of that, you have me as a candidate who's coming in without government experience. Um, and that's a new thing as well. Um, not unheard of and, and certainly not... Um, not impossible to, 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 to have this happen um, but it's certainly worth the conversation and the debate, British Columbians deserve that and I, so I think that you know a lot of the kerfuffle is to be expected
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well Anjali, I wish to speak to you next week, I hope we can speak next week there's a lot going on and like I said I appreciate you coming on today to talk about your healthcare plan I look forward to chatting yes. with you in the future thank you so much
2: Likewise. All right. Have a great day.
0: The British Columbia government says it's ready to deploy sandbags and tiger dams uh, in case flooding follows the ongoing drought. Uh, you may recall um, just a few days ago we were talking to the folks at Sunshine Coast. Uh, they have some significant challenges when it comes to drought. Um, they still have enough water till early November. Uh, of course, uh, when the rainfall does come, it is a challenge. Joining me now is Peter uh, Brock, Executive Director of Regional Operations with Emergency Management BC. Pater, thank you so much for your patience. Thanks for having me. All right, walk me through what is uh, Emergency Management BC doing in regards to preparing for uh, this onslaught uh, of rain and and potential flooding?
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Well, really, uh, the intent is uh, for, you know, want to share with people that flooding is common in British Columbia, and we do want people to prepare for potential flooding. And it might sound like a strange time to put out that messaging due to the current drought, uh, but certainly what goes hand-in-hand with drought is Uh, Due to some of the dry um, river systems out there, uh, that when water hits uh, some of the drier soils, that we can really have uh, significant concerns for for flooding. Uh, So one of the things that uh, the province is doing for flooding is we're uh, prepared to deploy about 4 million sandbags to local governments. And we're also uh, prepared to deploy uh, 10 kilometers of gabions. And and those are wall-like structures that are filled with sand, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, 32 kilometers of tiger dams. And and those are those stackable orange tubes that are uh, filled with water Mm -hmm. to uh, protect for flooding. So those are just a few things that we have uh, at play here for uh, potential flooding concerns.
0: How much is this driven by just what, what the province had to go through last year?
3: Well, every year, uh, the province uh, provides a lot of information on uh, to the public on preparing for flooding. And flooding is certainly an annual event in British Columbia. Uh, so we every year provide a lot of messaging and put a lot of emphasis on uh, ensuring communities are prepared for flooding and positioning the province uh, in the best way we can to, uh, uh, you know, uh, in anticipation of potential flooding. And last year certainly was a significant flooding uh, event due to the fall storms. And, uh, you know, that event, although an anomaly, uh, you know, the last year's um, uh, fall storm event was about a one in 100 year event is what we're being told. But it's really important for uh, British Columbians to realize that we experience flooding on an annual basis and it's uh, very important to be prepared every year.
0: So is this information going out to municipalities and they can just they can request it from emergency uh, Mer- emergency management B.C.?
3: Yeah, that's correct. We have a lot of contact with uh, local communities, uh, local government, First Nations, uh, in regards to what we have available. And we are always doing reach out uh, with communities on, uh, well, a couple of things to better understand how they're doing and how well prepared they are. And also what we have available to support them uh, if they're in a time of need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm very curious uh in regards to how your department or Emergency Management BC broadly, and beyond just flooding, there's wildfires, uh, has the last few years sort of forced Emergency Management BC and, and, other, and other ministries as well to really start looking at um, emergencies, whether it be fire or floods, differently just because of climate change? Are you doing things differently in Victoria to deal with what uh, the province has had to deal with in the last few years and potentially even more in the future?
3: Yeah, you know, I think we should always be looking at doing things differently, and that's just to keep up with the ever-changing environment for uh, emergencies and disasters in British Columbia. One of the things that we've uh, put a lot of emphasis on for this year, uh, and we're very focused on it, is expanding the use of our broadcast intrusive alert system for uh, notifying the public and communities uh, about flooding. And so, uh, you know, we have areas where we want to always focus on continuous improvement, and uh, expanding that tool is one of those. Uh, You know, we also have a focus on uh, improving our emergency support services and ensuring that for evacuees that we can provide direct payments. And so I think in this business, it's really important to uh, never stop looking at opportunities for continuously improving. And certainly our partners and other uh, government partners are always looking at uh, doing the same, uh, improving and continuing to uh, look at how we can serve British Columbians better.
0: What part of B.C.? Uh, and this is not to alarm anybody because there's flooding every year, it's just a part of living in British Columbia, but are there areas of concern or areas you're watching closely?
3: Yeah, well, you know, right now the areas that uh, are most of concern for, for drought, and, and again, you know, communities have experienced flooding in the past. Uh, communities uh, are aware that if you've experienced in the past, it's a likelihood that you'll experience in the, in the future. So as far as tying back to sort of the drought conversation, uh, you know, some areas that we have for current drought, uh, which is uh, quite high right now, is Northeast BC. Uh, Lower mainland has some drought concerns, Sunshine Coast, and obviously West Vancouver Island and East Vancouver Island have significant drought concerns. So it's very difficult at this juncture to uh, crystal ball exactly where we're going to see flooding in British Columbia. Uh, But uh, what we uh, really want to put to people for a message is if you've experienced flooding in the past, you are likely to experience in the future. And so recommend that all British Columbians prepare uh, for that potential eventuality.
0: Peter, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Last night, the Vancouver Canucks opened the season with a game against the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Place. Uh, This segment isn't about the 5-3 loss against the Oilers. No, there was a greater crime that occurred in the arena, and it occurred in the concession stands. Oilers fans lit into the team on social media for the absurd concession prices at Rogers Place in Edmonton. Joining me now is uh, our show contributor, John Jang. We're going to talk about the great ripoff. We're going to talk about pricing at uh, at, uh, sporting events. John, welcome.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Jazz.
0: Uh, Let's go through uh, some of the pricing. And this is all (laughs) on social media. (laughs) This is amazing to me. And we all are used to paying a lot when we go to sporting events. But I think the Edmonton Oilers took it to another level. Here it is. So a combo, they call it combo four, which is two large popcorn uh, with two fountain pops, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of stuff you get at a movie theater. $36.50. Thirty-six dollars and fifty cents, wow. and they don't have PST in Alberta, but they certainly have GST. That's thirty-six fifty before tax for two large popcorns and two fountain pops. They have another thing called Combo Five: uh, a home cheeseburger, one cheeseburger, and a fountain pop. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two dollars, mm. uh, a beef sandwich and a beer, thirty dollars and fifty cents, uh, chicken tenders and fries with a beer, thirty dollars, uh, and get this: a hot dog and a beer. $20.75 uh, before tax. I mean, I, I haven't been to GM Place in a little while. I, this, this is the highest I think I've ever seen in regards to pricing for food at a, at a sporting event.
4: Yeah, this is akin to, like, highway robbery here, Jazz. And, of course, they get away with it because they know they've got you. You're not going anywhere for the next three hours as you're getting uh, set to watch a hockey game there at Rogers Place. I mean, they can charge whatever they like. If you're thirsty, guess what? You only have one place to go. you got to order via their concession stand. So this is how they pay Connor McDavid's $12.5 million every year. So all the Oilers fans... Good job. You're you're keeping Conor McDavid happy.
0: But don't you think they pay Conor McDavid's salary already with a pretty decent uh, uh, TV contract? Uh, (laughs) They pay his his salary through those luxury boxes and there's plenty of oil sands money in Alberta they've got all that corporate sponsorship i'm not saying uh <laughs> it should be a costco hot dog and a coke at a buck 50 i'm not saying that but it is absolutely ridiculous that we've gotten to this this level and that doesn't even include probably 35 40 dollars parking for for a venue mm-hmm. as well i mean do you think there's a point of no return or maybe we've already passed it based on these prices
4: I think so. I mean, I think this business model is very similar to the ones they would have at movie theaters, Jazz, because the secret is movie theaters make most of their money through concession sales. Mm -hmm. The ticket sales, actually, a lot of that goes to uh, the distribution companies and then the studios in which you collect the films from. But for hockey, I mean, sure, there's the ticket that you have to buy, uh, which is a lot of money in itself, especially in Canadian markets. But concession sales are 100 percent controlled by the owners of the stadium in this case, you know, Daryl Cates, the Edmonton Oilers. So this is a way for them to make as much money as possible, but you're right. We're seeing unprecedented prices. Like what are they going to say? Like inflation is making popcorn difficult to obtain uh, movie theaters. I think they spend 37 cents per large bag of popcorn jazz, 37 cents. The markup at a movie theater compared to what we're seeing now here with Rogers place is mind blowing. But again, the reason why they get away with it is because they know they got you, and unfortunately, many people will pay up. Yeah, it, what amazes me, look, it, I, I use
0: Costco as an example here, right across from uh, Rogers Arena. There, they've kept their hot dog and a pop uh, price to a buck fifty. And I know it's different. Uh, it's a bit of a loss leader, and I was looking at the numbers. They're saying if, if you had to, uh, include inflation to when they first introduced it, and they've kept the price at a buck fifty for a very long time, but it would just be about four dollars and fifty cents for for a for a Coke and and a hot dog. Uh, I don't mind the profit, of course. I just don't like them gouging the way they're doing. I mean, literally what they're doing is disconnecting themselves from everyday people. And forget about the, 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 you know, the corporate guy walking in with his expense account. Uh, I think people just go to a lot less games simply because mm-hmm. it really is that expensive. And now you can watch a lot of them at home. I'm not sure uh, how they're building that long-term connection to a team. When they're asking for these kinds of prices, it basically says we're going to try to squeeze as much as out of you. It doesn't yep. speak to loyalty. It doesn't speak to respect. It just says, you know what? We just want the money, and, and that's it. And I, I just think there's there's a fundamental disconnect with some of these uh, sports franchises. Maybe it's all franchises now that is money making, and I don't I don't doubt you know they, they need to make money. But the challenge I have is how does this have what does this have to do with the average family income in this in this city of oh. seventy thousand dollars?
4: It was ridiculous. It's insane. In fact, like I know we're teasing the Edmonton Oilers for their prices because it it was on social media yesterday. But I I think a lot of hockey teams do this. The Vancouver Canucks do this as well. And I just don't know how I could uh, envision a family of four, Jazz, like having an affordable night out at a hockey game nowadays. Because the tickets alone, I mean, depending on where you're sitting, it can be like $50 a ticket, upwards of $300 a ticket. And then the food. How are you yeah. supposed to feed every single member of your family if you're talking about $37 for two popcorns and two drinks? That is just not possible for a lot of families right now. So I think, you know, when we talk about uh, how much other options are available in the city of Vancouver and Metro Vancouver for families that want to have a nice night out. Sports events like this, they might not be near the top of the list as we used to think. If again, we're thinking about having to pay for an entire family of four,
0: I tell you, if I was back to my old student days, uh, I'd probably just go to the Costco across the street from Rogers Arena, have a yes, hot dog, sir.
4: In the pub, and then walk into the game. <laughs> that's that I think that's the secret right because at least for Canucks fans we are sort of blessed to have Costco right across the street so Canucks (laughs) games uh, Warriors games BC Lions games you name it just go and fill up at Costco and then go to the game I think it's the best way
0: exactly well give me a call on the open line I want to hear from you Uh, do you go to less games now uh, or do you wait for free tickets just because it's just become so expensive think of the parking $35 uh, beer a hot dog a hamburger you take the kids as John was saying Uh, you know the food bill alone can be over $100, never mind the tickets or the parking. Give me a call in the open line. We'd love to hear from you. Have you uh, sort of changed your, uh, I guess, attendance uh, behavior in regards to the Canucks or even the you know, Lions in regards to the cost? Uh, Doug in Vancouver. Hi, Doug. Hey, how
3: are you?
0: I'm doing well, my friend. What's on your mind?
3: Uh, it's just uh,
5: people that are going down and catch a hockey game here. You talk about going over and getting a hot dog across the street at Costco. Yeah. Well, you don't get the same dog that you have at Rogers. Um, they buy their hot dogs from Costco. A buddy of mine was a chef there, and he told me. I didn't really believe him. And then he sent me pictures of the uh, skids coming in, all uh, Costco kosher hot dogs. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no. He goes, that's how we make our money.
6: I go, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh so, so, yeah, so uh, go across the street, get the same dog for what, a dollar fifty instead
0: of twelve bucks? A buck fifty for a hot dog and a pop. That's right. That's thanks for your call, Doug. I really appreciate it. No Doesn't that just say everything? We pay whatever we're paying for a hot dog at, at Rogers Arena and they're just buying it from Costco across the street. Well there you go. That sort of explains everything to me. Uh, let's go to Caroline and Sir. Hi, Caroline. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Oh, you're just bringing back so many memories for me right now. I've gone to Lions games ever since I was little, Uh and... Um, it's changed so much. Like, there's so much more that they offer you now than just a hot dog and a pop. I mean, have you been to a game lately? They've got all sorts of things now. Yes, you can get a real dinner there. I,
0: I, I've gone to a Lions game, and you're right. The selection is a lot better. Um, Vancouver Canucks as well. It's 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 not your basic menu, uh, and there's different types of food too. So I, I you know, hats off uh, to them for doing that. It's just when I see some of these prices, uh, when you're talking about a hot dog and a beer, twenty dollars and seventy five cents. Look, it's I know they totally have to make they have to make money. And I, I agree, but these guys make a lot of money on their TV contracts, uh, on the corporate sponsorship, the luxury boxes. Uh, they change their um, uniforms, it seems like, every couple of years with new colors uh, just so they can sell more uniforms. So they're making lots of money. And in the playoffs, they're not uh, paying the players either, so there's lots of money coming in. So I, I just – for me, it's, it's a connection to the average fan. Yes, they're going to pay those ticket prices, but at least make it affordable. That's my only quibble. You know, I, I understand it's a multimillion-dollar business, right?
2: This is what I do. So I definitely go less, but when I go, I go all out. And (laughs) I just decide to not care.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it's... it's, So
2: I'll go to one game rather than, like, six.
0: That's that, and that's fine, but I, I would, you would think over the long term, let's say if you're taking kids, it builds a connection with the team, it's memories you're building rather than going for that one game and, and going all out. And I, and I think that's the way to do it. I agree with you. Uh, thanks for your call, Carolyn. It's just a, it, it is a bit frustrating because I think you'll lose something along the way. I got an email. Uh, from Robbie says, funny that you mentioned Costco. My son and I actually go to Costco or that Paragon of good value, Seven Eleven first, have, and have a couple of dogs and a drink for like $15 total. Good on you, Robin. Thank you for the email. You can email me at jazz at CKNW. Uh, I've got uh, uh, 30 seconds or so. John from Burnaby, go ahead.
3: Yeah, hi there. I haven't gone in a while. Um, I have the greatest place to watch it is at home. 65-inch TV, no lineups for the bathroom, and popcorn is pretty
0: cheap. So John, that, that's what I do. John, you're absolutely right. And TVs are cheap now. They're they're huge. Audio is really good. And you don't have to deal with $35, $40 of parking. You don't have to hassle with crowds. You don't got to pay <laughs> $20 for the $1.50 Costco hot dog that just came across, <laughs> across yep. the street. All of it. No, that, you're absolutely correct. I think that's part of the issue is who wants to deal yep. with the hassle, right? So thank you for your call, John. Really appreciate it. The no earlier uh, on the program, we had Anjali Upadurai join us. She is the NDP leadership candidate. She announced her health care plan today. Uh, we talked a little bit about that plan, but we also talked about, of course, uh, speculation that she may not uh, be able to finish uh, this leadership run because there's been speculation that she may be booted out by the party as early as next week. We did talk to her a little bit about even if she were to stay on, let's just say she was able to win and won the leadership. She would be of course the leader of the NDP but there's been talk of course that the NDP caucus those very MLAs that are elected wouldn't accept her so she would not be premier. I posed that question to her. Uh, Take a listen to what she had to say.
2: I came into this leadership race quite late And um, I didn't come in with the relationships, not having been in government. I haven't had a chance to work with the members of our caucus, and and most of them don't know me. And, you know, as we run this very fast-paced leadership race, I'm I'm reaching out, I'm having these conversations, and I'm making contacts so that they can get to know me. I'm confident that as we continue to have the actual policy discussions, as we continue to do this relationship building and show that we're genuine in our efforts, I'm sure that we'll be able to win
0: people over. Joining me now to talk about Anjali Apadurai's leadership run is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Hello, Keith. Hi, Jess. Uh, Anjali uh, pointed a, a, painted a very um, rosy picture of, of uh, how things are transpiring. What are your thoughts on, on how this is all going to come down in, in the next uh, week or so?
5: It's really the most important thing here is the caucus. At the end of the day, this is a government caucus. It's not an opposition caucus. If this was an opposition leadership race, I don't think this would be nearly as problematic a situation as it is now. But when you've got someone basically who declared war on the caucus and the campaign branding the government a total failure on so many fronts, And you didn't see that with Christy Clark when she ran the the B.C. Liberals, because she had been a member of the caucus. So this doesn't happen very often. And she may not have talked to the caucus. I've talked to the caucus in the hallways at the ledge during the session, and I have yet to find a single person who uh, supports her or even would support her if she were to win the leadership. She would not have a seat. And so it raises a a very interesting scenario that if she were to run, and again, she's not an official candidate yet. That decision has not been made. Uh, we expect a decision on that front sometime next week, likely Wednesday or so. Uh, it would be fascinating to see a situation where the caucus had a leader they didn't support. And that would raise some constitutional questions. The lieutenant governor only meets with her first minister, which is the premier. And that would be John Horgan. It would not be the leader of the NDP. That's not a minister. That's not, hasn't been sworn in as premier. So it's... Uh, It's interesting. I wonder if John Horgan would even continue on as premier if Aperdura were to win. But it's an interesting situation. She's she's obviously trying to um, change the messaging she's bringing to this race because some of the interviews she's given to media outlets a few weeks ago, I think has come back to haunt her when she brands the people she's professed to want to lead as complete failures on a number of files.
0: Well she's talked about uh, you know her opposition to Site C which uh, you know it's not completed but it's well on its way in the billions of dollars she's talked about her opposition to LNG once again uh, the largest private sector investment in the history of this country well on its way it should be opening I think, 2024 2025 um, in many ways uh, it's, it's hard to sort of understand uh, the NDP. And what I mean by that is, you know, this was, a, was going to be a coronation for Mr. Eby. Prior to that, uh, John Horgan became leader without any opposition. It was, it was a coronation as well because nobody wanted the job. This party really hasn't had a real leadership race where they're actually fighting over ideas and membership in a meaningful way for probably, what, a decade now, a generation?
5: Well, you, you, go, you go back to the, the race that uh, Adrian Dix won. Uh, where there was uh, John Horrigan, Harry Lally for a time, Mike Farnworth. Um, But again, those are people who had all worked together in a caucus previously. Um, This was not a case of a complete outsider who rejects everything they stood for. Um, that wasn't the case in the last uh, couple, last several BC Liberal uh, leadership races, and the last uh, NDP leadership in 2011. Even you go back to the 90s and the 80s the leadership conventions. There, I covered the Social Credit convention in 86. Twelve different candidates. They all work together afterwards because they were all from the same party uh, and it's cut from the same cloth. Even though i ran as a federal candidate in Vancouver Granville in, uh, the last election. The federal New Democrats and the B.C. New Democrats, even though technically they're all part of the same big umbrella party, there's a world of difference between the two. They do not share the same policies and the same, uh, even the same philosophy on a number of fronts. And, again, because this is a government party leadership race, it's different than an opposition one. The stakes are so much higher. And that's why there's so much scrutiny being paid to her campaign. I've talked to a number of New Democrats. I get to see one who's who's confident uh, that she, her candidacy is going to be legitimized and allowed to to run as an official candidate.
0: How does a party that uh, has a majority uh, have such low membership numbers that it appears an outsider uh, from the environmental movement can essentially uh, uh, come in and potentially take it over in the manner that she's done? It? I mean, isn't this a, a, a glaring reminder? A, Mr. Eby not signing up enough people, but also just a Uh, 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 an indictment of the NDP itself of not uh, sort of rejuvenating and building on their membership
5: well first of all we don't know how many people David Eby signed up we have no information on membership numbers other than that there were 11,000 at the beginning of the race but you know only a couple days after John Horgan made his announcement a a senior BC Liberal strategist over the years foaming and said hey the NDP's only got 11,000 members they are vulnerable to a takeover here And I said, yeah, they are vulnerable. Eleven thousand is not a big number to swamp with a well-oiled machine. In this case, the environmental movement, the dogwood, uh, with a big database of uh, people who support them and easily contactable. Uh, The Green Party suddenly elements of the Green Party suddenly become active in this campaign. So they uh, are the authors of their own mess, quite frankly, by not doing what it took to make sure those membership. Roles are much larger. In a, in a one-person, one-ballot uh, situation, you do the party does become vulnerable. I, I've talked to caucus members who were concerned the sign-up period was so long. Some argued that it should have just been in the hands of the members who were members of the NDP when John Horgan made his announcement, and no more sign-ups. Uh, but, of course, that's all gone now. But we'll see how many uh, memberships are disqualified. Elizabeth Call, the former NDP cabinet minister, is the party's chief electoral officer. She's presenting a report to the party executive next week. Presumably, she will have a recommendation in there, either about her candidacy and or the memberships that both, perhaps, candidates signed up here. It's a mess, but the NDPs are the authors of their own mess here, and it's no one else's fault. And they asked the Green Party for help to go to vet the two-party memberships and the Green Party understandably said, no, this is your problem, it's not ours. Uh, you're not going to have access to our confidential information. So, it's an unprecedented situation, and we'll see how it plays out next week.
0: Well, it's going to be fascinating because uh, it, <laughs> it, it it, it, whoever wins this at the end of the day is going to be premier of this province, so uh, lots oh, of drama. Oh, no, again,
5: we don't know if after I wins. Yeah, That's I, an open question. I don't
6: think she will be premier.
0: Well, if Ms. Eby does, he certainly will, but it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the drama that we're seeing, which the NDP doesn't need. It's supposed to go in and, and uh, uh, this should be done cleanly and you move on with the new leader, but certainly this is embarrassing for the party, so we'll definitely keep an eye on it. and Look forward to chatting with you next week. Thanks so much, Keith. Hi, right, Jess. Overstocked inventories and fears of recession on the horizon will push retailers to offload products at potentially steep discounts ahead of the holiday shopping season, according to retail experts. Retail giants like Walmart, Best Buy, and Target have said in recent months that they're sitting on excess inventories. Heading, in, uh, heading into the fall. Joining me now is uh, Bruce Winder. He's a retail analyst to talk a little bit about the holiday season, the retail holiday season. Uh, Bruce, thank you for joining us.
6: Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: So uh, walk me through this. Uh, are we already sort of seeing some of these sales uh, with Amazon Prime or are we still going to have to wait a little bit?
6: Well, I think uh, Amazon was the first out of the gate uh, this week, but uh, I think you're going to start to see some folks over the next couple weeks Uh, load up and start to uh, put out some specials there because there's a lot of inventory out there. And, uh, you know, this year, it's very different than last year. This time last year, we weren't talking about inflation. We weren't talking about a recession. And uh, with these new developments now, retailers realize they're going to have to uh,
0: get a bit more aggressive on promotions to drive some volume. And in regards to how do these inventories build up? Well,
6: there's a, it really depends on the retailer. But overall, uh, one common thread is that, you know, with supply chains being mucked up over the last couple of years because of COVID, uh, retailers have had to order a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. And a lot of retailers ordered uh, merchandise, say, a year ago, um, w- before re- before this talk of recession and inflation came up. So they ordered some pretty decent quantities, and now they they've got hung with it. In addition... Uh, some merchandise, believe it or not, arrived early. and uh, But a lot of it, you know, even from the spring and summer, they brought it in anticipating a really good spring and summer, and it was tough economically because that's when inflation hit. And they just got hung up with, uh, with more inventory than they need. So in retail, there's one of two things you can do. You can either pack it up for next year, or you can mark it down and sell it aggressively to get rid of it.
0: So is the supply chain issue... Uh, in the rearview mirror, or or are we still seeing supply chain challenges for retail?
6: There is is some supply chain challenges, but it's not as bad as it was. And the freight rates that were elevated during the pandemic have sort of settled back down and have went down to more normal levels. So, um, you know, you're starting to see the supply chain kind of work out some of the kinks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not perfect yet, but it's better than it was last year. And, uh, and now, you know, in some cases it's worked too well and, and retailers are ha-
0: holding on to inventory. Is, is this more of an American phenomenon is it or Canada as well?
6: Probably both. Uh, most hmm. of the press has come out of the U.S., but uh, there has been some points of data in Canada as well. Uh, Canadian Tire mentioned that they had a bit more inventory than they wanted. Um, uh, and other, you know, the other folks are going to have the same. It's, it's probably across the board. In,
0: uh, in both countries. Hmm. Uh, in regards to retail itself during COVID, uh, uh, what trends were sped up because of COVID uh, in the retail environment uh, in your mind?
6: Uh, the biggest trend uh, was the growth of e-commerce, which mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic, people jumped on e-commerce. Now, since then, e-commerce has sort of fallen back to earth and people are out with a renaissance in brick and mortar again. Um, Other uh, things like technology development apps, you know, uh, appointments, um, virtual appointments and things like that uh, kind of got accelerated, I think, uh, during the pandemic. Food, ordering food online and grocery delivery was accelerated as well. So we saw a few things that are a little different than before.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it strengthened the retail environment, or do you think there are clearly were casualties and retail still isn't at, the, at that healthy spot it needs to be? Uh, speaking sort of nationally here in Canada.
6: No, it's not at the healthy spot it needs to be right now. Um, government subsidies, uh, you know, started to fade out in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of small retailers, this is going to be their sort of, Last stand this this Christmas to try to make some money,
0: or else they may have
6: to go bankrupt uh, in the new year.
0: Wow. you talked about the resurgence of mom and sorry, the resurgence of bricks and mortar. Um, and why do you think that is? Is it a question of us still used to. The old way of doing things. Like I, I love buying online, but there's a part of me that still loves the bricks and mortar. Still loves just trying something on, uh, and and uh, touching and feeling and all those kind of things you do when you're in a retail environment. Uh, is I mean, is are we going to see a broader resurgence of bricks and mortar? I think that
6: bricks and mortar is is here to stay. You know, it, it never was under. It was never under threat to go away totally. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic, everyone, you know, most people didn't have a choice. They had to buy online. So I think they, they're just sort of having a bit of a renaissance with it again, and then it'll probably settle into a nice, normal sort of balance between e-commerce and brick-and-mortar. It's not going away, um, but, you know, definitely there's been a trend over the last 20 years where brick-and-mortar uh, sales have been taken by e-commerce. So I think you're still going to see e-commerce grow and bricks fade a little bit. But you're you're going to have both channels operating well for the mm. foreseeable future.
0: So, final question to you: So, we we obviously Amazon Prime is 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 a great place for selling, and of course, each store or individual retailer will be have their own sales. Black Friday, I guess, would be the other one where consumers probably can expect some good deals.
6: Oh yeah, you should see some real good deals for Black Friday. Um, you know, the irony though with Black Friday is that. It's less about the actual day now Mm -hmm. because so many deals start in advance. Same with Cyber Monday. So many deals start in advance and continue on after. (laughs) That it's sort of been diluted a little bit, and it's more about sort of November as a month versus just one Black Friday
0: event. Well, well, I'm sure uh, Canadians who love going across the border and buying here, of course, will be paying attention. So thank you so much, Bruce. Really appreciate your time.
6: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: For all you streaming fans, Netflix is getting cheaper, but there is a catch. Joining me now is our show contributor, John Jang, with more. Hi, John.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Jazz. Indeed, exciting times, maybe, for streamers. (laughs) That's right. Uh,
0: So Netflix is, uh, to my understanding, offering a new, cheaper tier.
4: Yeah, that's right. This is something that we had heard uh, in the summer. Uh, The company was thinking about ways to maybe come up with a cheaper sort of subscription fee. So currently, most people will be signed up to the basic standard or premium packages, which start at $9.99 Canadian monthly, all the way up to around $21 a month, depending on which kind of plan you prefer, if you have 4K television, etc., etc. They wanted to create something that uh, is kind of just short of those dollar signs. So they have created a basic plan but with ads. So hmm. time is cyclical, I suppose, Jazz, and we've come full circle. Netflix originally launched as a company that helped you get away from commercials on television and in movies. Now they're essentially bringing it all back, but they're offering you a plan for just five ninety nine a month, as long as you're willing to deal with the commercials.
0: Then you know, it's it's not bad considering I think TV has about uh, twelve minutes or 15, 12 to fifteen minutes of ads for every hour, right? Mm-hmm. So four to five minutes of ads isn't bad. And then you, what was the price? You said five ninety nine,
4: five ninety nine a month. And indeed, uh, you would anticipate mm-hmm. approximately four minutes of ads per hour, and each ad would be as long as uh, up to thirty seconds long. So it's not terrible. I, I think the trade off makes sense. I do think it'll actually work, Jazz. If it If they're going to cater it to very specific types of people, for example, families, most families probably won't want to have a plan like this. But if you're a student or if you're maybe a senior and if your budget isn't as uh, flexible as some of the other people, Mm -hmm. something like this could be very attractive because you're still going to get the same kind of shows and and movies for the most part. It's just now you have to pay a little bit less in order to deal with the commercials. But I, I think that's a fair trade off depending, again, what kind of a financial situation you find yourself in.
0: Can you download movies with this cheaper tier?
4: Oh, so this is one of the the, the limitations to this new basic with ads plan. Ah. Uh, no, it doesn't come with downloads and you can't skip commercials. You can't fast forward through them either. You just kind of have to sit and play through it as you normally would. So they've kind of thought about ways that people would try and cheat the system. Because if you download a show or a movie jazz, it'll let you of course like scroll through, but Because they won't let you download it, you can't scroll through it. You can't skip it. You just got to deal with it.
0: I mean, I I like the download feature only because if you're on a long flight, you can download four, five, right. six shows, and and that takes care of things for you for for a long flight or something of that sort. I used to occasionally when I was an MLA, uh, I would never actually leave the vehicle. I just stayed uh, downstairs because you're always so busy meeting people. It was your only downtime. I download a show occasionally and watch it, uh, and so I, I use the download uh, downloading um, uh, feature. But I, mm-hmm. I guess the, the, the tough part for folks is going to be once you're used to not having ads, it's kind of hard to go back, right?
4: Yeah, I I see what you're saying. But I also think we're living in a time where there's so many different streaming platforms, right? And so how do you manage to stay on top of it all without spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month? This is one way if you're using Netflix, but you're not using it so extensively, like if you only have one or two favorite shows on Netflix where you don't feel compelled to spend upwards of $21 a month, Mm -hmm. this is something that could appeal to you because now you can get your favorite shows and pay less. Yes, you'll have to deal with the commercials, but is that a decent trade off for some people listening? It might be if you're already subscribed to things like Prime Video, if you have Crave, if you have Hulu, like all the other options that are available now, Jazz. So Mm -hmm. we're talking like for a lot of these things, combined, like $60, 70 80 a month sometimes. And if you can find a way to essentially take a $21 subscription fee all the way down to 599 that's that makes good. a difference. Yeah. Uh,
0: I guess it, this is one way to actually continue to build your subscribers. And I can understand why Netflix is doing that. But I don't think so far they've solved their other big issue, which is Password sharing right, if somebody has a family plan <laughs> and you pass it on to your kids in university and they'd say they pass it on to a couple of other buddies like you can actually have that one fifteen dollar plan, but twelve people might have a password and this is an exaggeration on my part, but they still have a huge challenge with sharing passwords don 't they
4: yeah well i i 'll openly admit i 'm sharing someone 's account right now, so i don 't pay for the netflix i have it 's one of the workarounds we 've had for years and years. It is something that Netflix has also mentioned that they're really looking forward to trying fix here because it's it's an issue for the company. They're not making as much money as they probably could be. So the same time that they were announcing that they were going to come out with this lower um, ad supported subscription fee, they also kind of mentioned we're going to lock accounts or penalize accounts that we are seeing where there's high number of uh, different users kind of accessing each account. So I'm curious to see what this all means. Obviously, they're rolling out this ad supported subscription next month in Canada, November 1st, but they haven't yet announced if they're going to implement penalties on top of that. I'm sure at some point, Netflix will essentially uh, cut that option. So people like me can't just enjoy Netflix content for free. Uh, And when that happens, Jazz, then you might actually see more people throwing their arms up in the air and saying, you know what? forget it. We're going back to doing the shady pirating, if you will, or just saying it's back to the television for me, because at least everything is sort of centralized there.
0: Yeah, exactly. I guess if Netflix is doing it, I think uh, Disney, Disney I'm sure, is going to follow quite soon as well, Disney
4: Plus. I think that's the thing about um, good ideas, is that you generally get all of it stolen and copied. So if this works out for Netflix, you could see it with Prime, you could see it with Disney, you could see it with all the other major subscribers because they want to essentially keep that stream of revenue coming in as well. So Prime, keep in mind, if we're talking about commercials, Prime has actually done this for a little while. They show uh, little ads of own, of their own Prime content, but you can skip it. And hmm. this is something that they've always done and I actually appreciate a lot. They show a quick, sometimes 10, 15, 30-second ad at the beginning of every episode or movie, but you can skip it right away. You don't need to wait five seconds. You don't need to sit through it. You can just skip it. And I think now that Netflix is coming out with this particular subscription fee, Jazz, a lot of people will turn to Prime and say, wow, you know what? Like, If we're just going to get ads more and more now, at least Prime will let us skip everything.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, but uh, there you go. We uh, joined uh, Netflix and Disney to get away from the ads, and the ads are continuing to follow us. That's how it works. Thank
4: you so much, John. Best thing about the Jazz Joe Hall show when you download the podcast, you don't have to sit through the ads. You can see, you, you know, you, there's no there's no commercials, there's no uh, there's fees no or anything like that. It's free and it's good content. So I'm just going to be, uh, you know, shamelessly plugging that. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much, John. You got it. Thanks, Jazz.
0: <laughs> That's our contributor, John Jang, talking about Netflix, which, uh, as he said, on November 1st, will be offering a new tier for so $5.99 per month if you can sit through four to five minutes of ads per hour to be played uh, before and during the TV shows and films. So well, $5.99 is a pretty good deal. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.